The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So does anyone have any questions based on last week or the instructions or the homework or questions? Or It's also nice to get some reports, get some sense of, you know, of, uh, how this is going. Is it, was it interesting to do the homework? Was it helpful? Was it a drag? More homework? You have to stay up late to do your homework? <laughs> <laughs> the dog ate it. <laughs> yes? My dog ate my homework, <laughs> but I do remember a little bit about it, um, so I'm kind of curious to hear your take, but um, it's been actually interesting to me filling that out and like realizing, like seeing the patterns there, and one in particular is like a lot of times by the time I'm like meditating at the end of the day, like coming home after work at some point, I'm just kind of dead like I just kind of sit there and take it for 45 minutes and then it, it's over and I feel a little bit calmer but I don't feel like I really get a lot of concentration out of it mm-hmm. or that I'm really getting right energy getting put into it so because you're you're tired you're weary at the end of the day yeah it's just like my mind is really agitated mm-hmm. you know uh, I'm here to support you all to meditate but uh, sometimes uh, meditation is not the right thing and uh, especially in a big, busy, working, urban family life, uh, you get a, a better return sometimes for taking a 10-minute nap. <laughs> or, or you get a better return doing some exercise or taking a nice shower. You know, take a cold shower, you know, and, you know, something. Do, do, sometimes it's helpful to do something that revives you, you know, kind of settles you. So you might try, uh, if you're sitting 45 minutes at home, and that's all the time you have, you might try doing 15, uh, uh, lower the amount of meditation to half an hour and then do 15 minutes of something, like it could be exercise, you know, any, any of those things, uh, and see if that settles you. And, um, and, then, uh, and then makes you feel fresher and more alert to do the meditation. Thank you. Oh, yes, go ahead. If you could pa- Brian, if you could pass it there and then you can... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, me? Okay. Um, So I sometimes get distracted by what I call future conversations, like imagining talking to somebody about something. Um, And I have a note here that I made an effort to shift from being caught up in future conversations to observing them, and they tended to dissolve them. Mm. And it was sort of disconcerting how quickly they dissolved. Uh, I don't know if that is... I mean, it didn't seem like I could really observe them <laughs> because they, they dissolved uh-huh. so quickly. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. And I think people who are, do you know, a lot of meditation are usually relieved when they go quickly. And so they don't have to deal with them. The, um, uh, generally, thoughts don't last long if there's not a lot of uh, juice in them. If we're not that interested, there's not much power in them. And just uh, uh, seeing them, recognizing they're there, sometimes is enough just for them to dissolve. And um, and uh, I think I would just uh, be content because then you don't have to, 
it's easier to stay in the present moment. And, uh, and uh, just wait. Someday you'll have thoughts that don't dissolve that quickly. And then you can kind of do mindfulness of thinking more. But until then, I'd just be content with a quiet mind. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. This has been a fantastic course, and uh-huh. um, having this place to come to is, is quite appreciated. Uh-huh. Um, one question I had is the distinction in the hindrances between the aversion versus the the desire, I guess. Yes. They're the two, and it's hard to see that line, because on the one hand, you desire the thing that's making you angry to go away. Right, right. <laughs> and so that's a type of aversion, but it's also rooted in desire for whatever that yeah, yeah. right outcome should be. Yeah, good, good, it's a very good point. And um, so uh, it's the, uh, these first two hindrances, which is uh, sensual desire, usually, that's the usual kind of wording of it. And it's a desire for comfort, for pleasure, you know. Uh, and then the other the, is aversion, or ill will sometimes it's translated as. And, um, and that there are kind of two sides of desire. You can desire to have something, and you desire to push something away. So yes, it's both are kind of a desire, but they're going in opposite directions. And they have a very different quality to them, because a desi- usually sensual desire has the promise of pleasure in it. Uh, uh, aversion or ill will, ill will is stronger than in the word than aversion, I think. Uh, they usually have some kind of animosity in it or a little hostility or, and usually it's, 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 there's something about that which is not pleasant. And that's part of the reason we're pushing it away. So that's all things to be, to notice. So that, is that enough a distinction for you? Yeah, that, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks. Good. Yes, is the mic over? Well, who has it? Yeah. It's good to be here again. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about restlessness and and remorse. You know, I found myself um, not having the future conversations, but actually thinking about things in the past, but not feeling necessarily like there was sadness or, Uh or what I would traditionally think of remorse kind of, right. you know, associated with that. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, if you could just expand on, on that hindrance. Yeah, so the, the two different sides. Uh, when, when these hindrances are paired up like, together, like uh, restlessness and remorse, I like to think of them being physical and mental. So there can be physical agitation, restlessness, and it, it can be hard to sit and be still. And then there's, um, uh, uh, you know, mental uh, restlessness, but there's a particular one which the ancient traditions signal out, and that is remorse or regret. And that is, uh, if you've done something that you feel bad about, uh, that can, you re- people can really ru- ruminate about that. There was one retreat I taught recently. Uh, someone came to basically do a confession about something uh, the person had done 35 years ago that every day the person thinks about and is concerned and never told anyone. And so it was a lot of remorse, a lot of regret. And so that needed, you know, it certainly kept the person agitated and restless and it needed somehow to go through it. And it was only on this meditation retreat that if she finally allowed it to come to a head and, you know, let it be known and went through a process with it. So people can, um, uh, you know, so re- regrets, remorse can be a tremendous source of restlessness and, and, um, 
and sometimes sometimes it's not, not not enough to just do mindfulness or just do meditation. Sometimes we have to do real world amends or really deal with it. Sometimes. Um, um, what's interesting about uh, uh, one of the things that I think find interesting about the hindrances is um, th- uh, sometimes what they are are strategies to avoid facing uh, a challenge, something that's difficult. So sometimes when there's a real challenge, what some people do as escape is they go into sensual desire, food or something, just to avoid. Sometimes people go into blame, you know, as a way of avoiding it, you know. You know, I'm, you know, maybe, I don't know what, but um, maybe um, I keep backing my car into the neighbor's car. It's been happening, you know, five, six, seven, eight times now. And, uh, and, uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to face what this means and look at it, so it must be the neighbor's fault. You know, and he had that neighbor, and, you know, so, so, so avoiding, avoiding the real issue. And then with uh, uh, sloth and torpor, sometimes it's a kind of resistance. And that's really clear sometimes people are really don't want to face something. It's too difficult, too painful. And so they shut down, they go to sleep. And then restlessness, and, and I don't know about regret exactly, but restlessness can also be, or sometimes regrets can be avoidance too, because it's easier to have regrets than it is to go make amends. And so you kind of get lost in, I'm poor me, I'm so bad, I'm guilty, and, uh, as opposed to really showing up for the situation. Um, but restlessness sometimes, is some people run around and just so agitated, so they, they're running in circles around the issue rather than facing it. And I suppose doubt can be an avoidance mechanism too. I don't, I'm uncertain, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say. So that's one way I think of uh, uh, restlessness as a kind of avoidance. And if that's the case, then the interesting thing to do is to ask yourself, what am I avoiding? And uh, or, uh, with, if it's regret or remorse, then an interesting question, if it's real, you know, is it, is it real? Is it something that I really need to look at? And uh, if it is, uh, uh, um, sometimes we want to ask ourselves, what's needed here? Uh, is there something needed to make amends in the world or do something? And sometimes you come up, if strong regrets come up in meditation, spending a minute or so, a little bit of time reflecting on it, uh, and then acknowledging it, maybe, uh, you know, imagine, you know, just kind of making a note, oh, this needs to be addressed later, or, um, and then put it, put it up in a kind of, you know, imaginary shelf, and then go back to the meditation. But you know you're going to get back to it later. Because if you don't tell yourself you're going to get back to it later, it can continue to kind of spin out. So I'm trying to answer your question. Is this good enough, or is it, you have something more specific? No, that's, that's helpful, because, again, I didn't have that sense that you were just describing of needing to make amends and whatnot. It was more like, boy, I'm just you know, agitated a little bit sometimes, and so, yeah, helpful. One of the great meditations is if you feel you know, good, old-fashioned restlessness, and to sit and close your eyes and feel the restlessness like ping-pong balls bouncing off inside, or just kind of like you're on the amusement park and just all this energy, and, and just take it as being impersonal energy and just sit there and let it bounce off the walls of your body or something. And, um, you know, it can be entertaining. <laughs> and then, you know, and rather than being alarmed, rather than, rather than being alarmed or taking it personally or get impatient or feel like it's wrong, or I'm supposed to get someplace, supposed to be calm, it's meditation after all, you sit there and you kind of calmly let the restlessness kind of just run its course. Generally, if you have that kind of permission to it and just sit quietly, it generally quiets down by itself. I saw Cedric. You, 
and then we'll do your question, then we'll I'll do some something else. This um, I found evaluating how how much of these five faculties was uh, helpful in the same way that the hindrances were was in recognizing how we were. <coughs> uh, and because personally I found the, that the simple present, sim simply being present for, for how we are right now is yeah. so, so, so helpful in helping me grow. Uh, but then um, the instruction to kind of balance out the five faculties and the I noticed the tension of the need to to fix to make it a problem and to fix it and and so the tension between that and just being simply present for it and and so yeah because because I, I switch very easily into this problem solving mode like yeah. I'm super my mind is super agitating right now I'm I need more concentration. I'm going to yeah. focus on my breath, um, my breath, set my mind straight, and that's not so helpful, actually. Right. That, and so, yeah, I was just wondering. Um, I noticed that kind of tension stayed during the meditation, made a lot of effort not to do much. Um, but I was wondering if you if you could. Um, Comment on yeah on that. So um, issue. A yes. A bit. So there's a distinction that you're you're making between just being present for something, knowing it's there, being present, versus trying to fix it. And um, and that distinction is really important for some people because some people are chronic problem solvers, like or they're they're always want to fix something, and that's another way sometimes of avoiding what's happening is actually figuring I have to fix it and make it go away. Uh, so the kind of default in mindfulness meditation is not fixing. It's, uh, the default is just be present for the experience. And for sometimes, th th uh, being present is one of the uh, most effective ways of developing mindfulness. Just, just know it. And then, we're, then we have to face and become aware of our tendencies that it's not good enough just to know. It has to be better, it has, has to go away, I have to fix it. And so we start understanding that we don't really allow things to be very often because we're impatient or we have expectations or we have judgments about things. And so slowly, slowly these judgments and expectations quiet down. And one of the treasures of this mindfulness meditation is to begin appreciating the tremendous goodness of simple knowing presence. Just I'm here with this, even if it doesn't go away. After a while, that presence of knowing just here feels so much better than, um, it feels good enough. You don't need to have things go away because you identify more with the knowing than you do with what you know. So that make some sense? It, it makes total sense from what I experienced. Yeah. Yeah, so I so and, and, and occasionally, it is useful to make an adjustment. But, uh, but if you're making adjustment every 10 seconds, then you'll stay agitated, you stay restless, you keep, you keep your mind busy. So occasionally it's good to look and see, bring the faculties into balance. And the ones that are most practical for most people are the second and fourth, which is energy and concentration. 
and um, because if you uh, concentration, another, another almost like synonym for the word concentration is calm. Because as people get more and more concentrated, they get calm. But if you get calm and don't have enough energy, you go sleep. And one of the wa- ways you know that might be happening is you get kind of calm, quiet, feels good, and you start having hypnagogic visions, sort of seeing kind of strange, like dreamlike visions, or your mind drifts off into strange thoughts, like kind of like dreamlike. And that's a sign that you're calm, but you don't have adequate energy to match it. And so, or you start falling asleep, for example. So then you need to up the energy level. But if you really feel energized and charged, and your mind is like spinning at a mile a minute, um, then what's needed is uh, to calm down. So then we, we bring calming factors into the meditation to help us be calm. So occasionally that's good to do. But you, but if it, uh, you don't succeed quickly, um, I wouldn't spend a lot of time doing it because it's uh, mostly what we want to do is just be present for what is, which we'll talk about more today. So maybe last, last question or comment, please. Well, I've been thinking about it and... <clears throat> I think I might want to talk to you maybe after. Sure, that'd be great. That'd be that'd be great. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, so the basic idea in mindfulness meditation is to be present for your experience. And as many of us know, that it's not easy to stay present because the mind wanders off. Either wanders off into future, past, fantasy, commentary that has nothing to do with the present moment. Or if it's lucky enough to be in the present moment, it's not really here with a high-quality attention. We're here with our judgments, evaluations, and you know, fixing it, or all kinds of things. We're not you know, here in a quality way just to be. So one of the, uh, one of the things that uh, is really helpful to know is w- the forces in the mind that make it hard for you to stay present. Because if you can recognize how, when those forces operate, uh, the two things will happen. The simple recognition of it is the practice to notice what's happening. And so the distractions don't have to be a problem. They can be turned into the very thing that we bring our present moment attention to. The other thing is if you're sensitive and familiar with these distractions, then uh, you're less likely to wander off in them. You see them coming, you'll see them begin. You can let go of them and stay in the present. So it's good to learn about the five hindrances we talked about the first week. Then as you start being able to kind of stay present more and kind of na- navigate the present moment a little bit, it can be useful to a mild degree, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Don't make a big project out of it, but to be aware that uh, the, uh, to, to bring attention uh, into the fore- foreground, so we're really paying attention, the attentional faculties of the mind are operating, uh, there's actually a number of different faculties that work together. It isn't just like a single thing, just pay attention. Um, some confidence is needed, some effort is needed, some atten- awareness is needed, mindfulness is needed, S- uh, some focus and concentration is helpful, and, and some wisdom, some understanding, some discernment of what's happening so you can find your way. So, so it's helpful to know some of the processes that go into making attention work. Um, so that's what we did last week. Today, um, it's, uh, uh, we're going to look at, uh, once you're able to kind of be in the present moment, what we want to do is start seeing what's going on in the present moment more clearly. So the hindrances and the faculties, that's more your own internal environment. That you, that's part of the, part of the 
ecology of attention. But once you have the ecology of attention, attention a little bit balanced and, and settled so you can really be here, then the task is to really be present for your experience, to see it more clearly for what it is. That make sense? So, seeing, but to see our experience, whether, you know, whatever it might be, the present moment experience, it's all too easy for that to be a big blur. And, uh, and so it's hard to know where to begin. What is it, you know, you know so I could, feel, I could feel blah. So, you know, what is blah? And where do I find, you know, where do I find my grounding in it? What, what do I look at? What, do I, what am I present for when I'm present with blah? And it's just a kind of a big kind of amorphous kind of, you know, blah, you know n- something that I know I'm not feeling good, but, you know, um, and so many times people's, uh, often enough people's experience is very vague. They haven't really trained themselves to look carefully, especially when people suffer. People's suffering, people's distress, depression, distress, st- uh, stress they feel. Uh, it's not always so clear what it is. And when it's not clear, we don't know how to pay attention. So part of the function of mindfulness, part of, part of the way of doing it, is to begin making, um, kind of teasing things apart or begin looking at the details of this amorphous thing we call experience. If someone says, just be, just be present, yes, but to what? <laughs> you know, that's also pretty amorphous, that kind of language. So we want to be able to kind of begin uh, um, not breaking things apart, but seeing the different component aspects of what makes up the experience. So in meditation, uh, the experience that we're most interested in is not the experience of the world out there, but rather the way that we, our own subjective experience here. So even if the neighbor's uh, teenage, teenage uh, child is playing, you know, really loud, you know, practicing the trumpet, doesn't know how to play, and is doing it for hours, and I'm trying to meditate. Um, so it isn't so much a matter of you know, bringing attention to the trumpet music and then analyzing what's how it's, what note those are trying to do, but rather it's to, um, what's, what's that experience like of listening to that? And as I'm listening to it, there's a number of things that I can become aware of. I can be aware of the sound as it comes, it hits my eardrums or it comes into my body and just the, the hearing aspect of it. I can become aware of whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. I can be aware that as I listen to it, uh, what's the mood or the attitude in which I'm receiving it? I was irritated about that music before it even started. And I'm just irritated. And I'm receiving it in a wonderful field of irritation inside. (laughs) Or, oh, isn't it so nice? I mean, I've known this kid since the kid was two. And the kid is finally, you know, learning an instrument and it's, it's rough going, but the kid's really trying and has a real dedication. So there's a feeling, I just want to wish this kid well. And so it's, the sound's coming up. It's, it's, it's unpleasant sound, but it's being received in a mood of goodwill to them. So, it could, you know, how, what's the mood? Uh, in Buddhism, it's called the mental state. And then <clears throat> what are the mental activities that are happening within the state. 
so uh, there might be the hindrances might be operating. That's an activity of the mind. There might be desire, and not, can't, you can't stop thinking about how you want to learn the trumpet too, and have a duet. You know how wonderful that would be, and you have a whole fantasy about playing at Carnegie Hall, and that would be you know desire fantasies perhaps. Or you can't, uh, you know, you have aversions, uh, uh, ideas about, you know, that, you know, you're probably going to build a 30-foot cinder block wall between your, your house and their house and, and um, you know, just you know, get back at them for that sound. Or you might just be, just kind of give up and start falling asleep. I can't meditate, i just, you know, just too hard. Or it could be that your mind starts getting restless and, you know, and, and uh, you maybe have regret that you had these you know, negative feelings for the kid. Or you have doubt, you don't know what to do. You know, you're supposed to be present, but I don't know what it means to be present, and I don't know if this is the right time to be present, and uh, I don't know what to be present for, and maybe I should be, and Gil said, I should, 15 minutes, I should go maybe take a shower or exercise, and, but I don't know if that's right, and you know, so you're kind of uncertainty, not knowing what to do. These are all, so, so what I went through was, there's a physical experience, of the sound of the music. There's the feeling of pleasant and unpleasantness that's part of it. There's the basic mood in which that is being experienced. And then there's the thoughts and attitudes and ideas and different things that come into play in relationship to it. So, that, so rather than just kind of the experience of the music, I'm present for that, as we settle in and start being in the present moment, it's beginning to just notice that there's actually there's different aspects of this experience makes it richer, makes it fuller. It's not analysis. It is not like a, what should I look for now? And but it's it's more like let's let's be quiet enough and start seeing the distinctions, which the mind does quite naturally. Otherwise, we wouldn't make through make it through the world. We know that we see the distinction between the opening and the wall, and the wall when we go through a door. You know, there's, that's, you know, and we don't even think about making that distinction. We do make that distinction. And you're not analyzing the wall to see where the door is because it's second nature to see that distinction. So the same thing, we want to uh, calm down the mind and be present and begin looking at the, these, these component parts. And in, in, the, in this mindfulness tradition, we talk about four major areas to pay attention to our subjective experience as it's happening. And all, most things have these four component parts as part of it. So you can kind of just kind of, and sometimes one or, some of them might be quite weak and you don't, not obvious, but chances are it's there somehow. So most things have a physical qual, uh, uh, aspect to it. There's some kind of way it registers in the body, expressed in the body, manifested in the body. That, um, so what does it feel like in the body? Uh, all experiences have a feeling tone, which means that they're either pleasant or unpleasant to some degree. And, uh, and sometimes they can, f- uh, the Buddhist world, uh, Buddhism says there's a third option, is that is, they're neither pleasant nor unpleasant. But they all, Buddhist psychologists say that um, it's very rare to have something that's purely neither pleasant or unpleasant. Um, but you can notice the pleasant and unpleasantness of the situation. And then there's a, a mental state present when you're, re, when you're 
aware of that when you're taking that in, letting that register the experience. And then there are particular mental activities going on. Uh, also, there might be the hindrances that are operating. Or there might be something, which I'll talk about a little bit later, called the seven factors of awakening. And the seven factors of awakening are different factors of attention, a different, little bit different from the faculties, that become increasingly present, uh, uh, increasingly strong for us, the more calm and concentrated we are in the present moment. There's these forces of goodness that begin arising. And you can know these. So look at that. This feels good. There's a kind of a sense of well-being that I'm really here for this experience. So the idea is that it's possible to kind of tease apart whatever is happening in the present moment into these four categories. These four categories work together to create the full subjective experience of something. But if you just move the full subjective experience, it's too vague. And you don't see clearly, and you, it's difficult to develop a keen or valuable relationship to what's happening, or to see under the covers of what's happening to find some freedom in relationship to it. So one of the things we do in this mindfulness practice is stay present for what's there, and then hopefully you, without too much analysis, but you're realizing, oh, this is what I'm present for. I'm just here with it for a while, just be with it for a while. And then at some point, like, how is it physically? How is it with this feeling tone? How is it with the mind state? How is it, what kind of activities of mind are part of it? So some, some, some experiences are predominantly physical. So for example, if you're focusing on your breathing, which is a very good, you know, center focus for meditation, the sensations of your body is that physical part. But as you feel the breathing, there's probably some uh, feeling tone as part of it. It might be pleasant or unpleasant, that experience. It might be mildly unpleasant, it might be mildly pleasant, it might be strongly unpleasant or pleasant, but there's some pleasant and unpleasant in it. Why it's useful to notice that is that a lot of our reactivity to things is we're not re- uh, reacting to the thing, but to its pleasant and unpleasant quality. If the breathing is pleasant, we lean into, we want more of that. If it's unpleasant, we feel like I must be a meditation failure. You know, they're supposed to be relaxed, supposed to be, you know, and, and we get caught up in maybe ill will to ourselves, or maybe we hate our breathing, or we hate the person who taught us how to meditate. You know, it gets get out of hand pretty quickly. Because it, and we're reacting to the unpleasantness. But if you can just see it as unpleasant or see it as pleasant, sometimes the automatic or the unconscious reactivity doesn't start off. So, we, so we're with the breathing, we feel the physicality of it, we feel the feeling tone of it, and we can be aware of the general mind state, the mood, attitude of the mind in which we're aware of the breathing. It could be that we're straining to really try to be a good student. Like it's a, it's a test we have to pass. Or it could be that we're so like disinterested. You know, oh my God, breathing, it's so boring. And so there's an attitude, right? There's a mood of the mind that, so whatever we're paying attention to, we're paying attention through the filter of that mood. It might be enthousi- enthusiasm. Oh boy, I can't wait to meditate. <laughs> or it might be, you know, all kinds of things, right? Um, there might be a lot of desire operating that affects the mood, you know, kind of in a mood of desire. You know, if you see someone walking down the street who's like really angry, 
you can kind of see like almost like a, you, people say there's a dark cloud over the person. You know, you kind of tell that this person's really in a state. So sometimes the movements of desire, lust, the, the, the movements of ill will, anger, um, and even sometimes the strong mood of, de, of the forces of, de, of delusion, confusion, um, aren't just momentary blips in the mind. They actually kind of affect our mood. And you can actually feel some kind of ra- kind of a pervasive radiance of craving or radiance of anger we have. So anyway, so the mood can be many different things. It can be love. It can be goodwill. It can be happiness. It can be uh, confidence. Many things can be in that general kind of mood through which we're paying attention. So I'm with the breathing. And for me, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm at this mood of confidence and openness. Just open, confident, allowing, that, you know, that's great. Even though it might be unpleasant. My mood doesn't have to be tied to whether things are pleasant or unpleasant. And then there's these mental activities going on that maybe the hindrances are operating that's making it hard to stay there with the breathing. Or maybe these seven factors of awakening are there that have make it easier to stay with the breathing. Or maybe I'm just lost in thought again. So do you get the idea that we're, there's these different component parts of any experience? It could be that uh, your, your mood, your emotional state is the strong thing that's happening. So you, then you look. How is that experienced in the body? And you ground yourself in the body. It's a huge, important part of mindfulness of emotions. What's the feeling tone of it? Is it pleasant or unpleasant, this emotion? And it's, it's worth saying again, I apologize a little bit for repeating myself. It's really important to see the pleasant and unpleasantness of the experience because if you don't see it, you might react on automatic pilot to it. But if you really see it for what it is, the, so the emotion is, uh, maybe it's pleasant emotion, and you feel the pleasure of it, then you just kind of let it be and just be mindful. But if you don't see the pleasure, then the habit of wanting more, pumping it up, um, taking it as you know, proof that I should be, you know, get an award and show my neighbors of how good meditator I am, we, you know, we get involved. Just, you know, they're trying to do, we're trying in meditation just to see clearly what's there and leave it alone. And then there might be these mental activities around the emotion. I like the emotion. I don't like the emotion. I'm trying to push it away. I'm trying to hold on to it. I want more of that. I'm confused about it. Does it make some sense? Same thing with a lot of thinking. <clears throat> there, like say, say there is a lot of desire. Desire thoughts, fantasy thoughts, the desire... So same thing, you can look, look more carefully. What's that feel like physically? And chances are, if there's strong desire thoughts, you probably feel certain kind of tension or warmth or contraction in your body that somehow relates to it. Um, uh, recently, I had desire thought. Happens once in a while. And, um, <clears throat> and I found myself leaning forward. You know, because what I wanted was, you know, it was kind of part of the moving into. So I noticed the physicality of it. It could be, um, and then with the desire thoughts, 
is it pleasant or unpleasant? It's really pleasant. And, and then I realize, you know, that's why I'm seduced, the promise of pleasure. And then uh, what's the mood that's present there? With, uh, oh, the mood is one of, I actually feel very dissatisfied with my life right now. And that dissatisfaction is probably, that general, generalized feeling dissatisfaction is probably the reason why I'm looking for desire thoughts to kind of compensate. So no matter, almost a lot of different things, if you want to really be present and kind of find, find, find a grounding in them, a way to kind of connect to something that's not amorphous, it can be helpful to kind of go through those four categories. The physical, the body, the feeling tone, the general state or mood, and then the activities in the mind that's going on in relationship to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so this is part of the process of learning to kind of see more clearly what's happening in the moment. So we can, we can actually sh- sh- not just be vague about it, but actually connect it and be here. So I thought we would try that a little bit. So uh, you've been sitting now for a while. If, so if you want to stand just a stretch and have fresh legs or something for the meditation, you're welcome to. So what we'll do is um, I'll d- we'll do some basic breath meditation first, partly to help us just relax and be here more fully. And then once after, after you've done kind of the basic grounding of breath meditation, I'll ask you to notice whatever is most pronounced in your direct experience, the strongest, most compelling experience. It could still be, it could be breathing, it could be something in your body, it could be a mood, an emotion, it could be, you know, something going on in your mind, your thoughts. And then, uh, you, could, you know, it's up to you. And then uh, once you've identified the compelling thing, then I'll go through those four categories and you can see if you could, you know, identify them and see what it's like to do so. Okay, so that's the plan. So, taking a comfortable, alert posture. And if you're restless or agitated, emphasize the comfortable posture. If you're sleepy, you might want to emphasize an al- more the alert side of the posture. Sit up straight. Gently close your eyes. And then take a moment to feel what's happening in your body right now. as if whatever is happening right now is fine. Just take a moment to familiarize yourself with your experience of being in the body. And then within your body, as part of your physical experience, become aware of your body breathing. Noticing how your body experiences breathing.
and to help you get settled down, you might take a few long, slow, deep breaths. Breathing in deeply. And then as you exhale, relaxing. your breathing return to normal. And then notice if there's any places of tension in your body, your muscles, that you might either easily relax or soften around it. And perhaps relaxing perhaps relaxing as you exhale. Softening the muscles of your face. Relaxing your shoulders. And it's particularly useful to soften your belly. And then let your breathing be normal. Bring your attention to the experience of the body breathing. Feeling the rhythm of breathing in and out as, as it's experienced in the body. Every time you exhale, you might see if you can let go of your thinking. And in the letting go, see if that allows you to experience the exhale more fully, to be more present for the inhale.
Sometimes it's helpful to ride the out-breath all the way to the end. Meaning, keep your attention right there with experience of exhaling to kind of feel it closely or intimately until the exhale ends, the inhale begins. And as you're sitting here with your breathing, notice how the experience of breathing is physical. There's a physical part of it, that experience. It's experienced in the body. And then you might also notice whether the experience of breathing is in any way pleasant or unpleasant, or is it more neutral? If you notice whether the breathing is pleasant or unpleasant, however mildly so, is there any reactivity to that? Desire or aversion? Or can it be equanimous? Just part of the experience but not an issue that And as you're aware of your breathing, what's the general mood or attitude of awareness or that comes with awareness? What's the mind state that knows breathing? Is it a mind state that seems favorable for being attentive or unfavorable? And 
Is it a receptive mind state or a resistant mind state? Is the mind state confident or is it confused? activities in the mind in relationship to the breathing? Are you thinking about it? Are one of the hindrances operating? Are some of the faculties present? Concentration, confidence, then see if you can relax a little bit, relax your mind, and for another couple of minutes or so stay with your breathing. Rather than have breathing being kind of a vague experience, see if noticing these distinctions might make it easier to stay with the physical aspect of breathing. The others can be there, but they're more on the side, peripheral. Notice what the most compelling experience is for you as you're sitting here. The most predominant, it could be sensations in your body, it could be something that's pleasant or unpleasant, it could be an emotion, it could be some mental activity, thoughts, fantasies, ideas. Take a moment to identify what it, what it is and have a very simple awareness of this. As if it's okay for it to be there for a few moments. Your job is just to know it.
and whatever it might be, this predominant experience. Is there some way that it shows itself physically in your body? Some place where the energy of this thing manifests in the body. A simple physical experience. Is this thing that's predominant, compelling, is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? And if it's seen as pleasant or unpleasant, is there any reactivity to that pleasant or unpleasantness? What's the general mind state or mood or atmosphere with which you're aware of this experience? And then are there any, what mental activities seem to be happening that are directly related to this predominant experience? If, if whatever you're paying attention to has receded, look for the next compelling experience. Are there reactions, thoughts, hindrances? few minutes of this meditation, you can either go back to your breathing or you can just keep exploring whatever compelling experiences arise for you, experiencing them subjectively, seeing if what part of these different aspects is most useful to ground the attention in so you can stay present in the physical, in the feeling tone, in the mental state, or in the mental activities.
being aware of which of these helps you stay the most present. And then to end this meditation, take a minute to check in with more generally, how are you right now? And as you check in with yourself, how are you? Might it be helpful to notice these different component parts of the experience in a relaxed way Feeling how you are, notice these different aspects of how you are, physical, feeling tone, mood, mental activities. And take a long, couple of long deep breaths. Feel your body. When you're ready, you can open your eyes. So that was about 20 minutes and um, I'd, be curious, I'd, be, I'd love to hear from a few of you what that was like and what was it like to kind of notice these different aspects of your experience? Was that helpful? Was that not helpful? In what way was that helpful? Do my, uh, yeah, right there. So, um, usually I have um, um, some aversion and agitation due to that. But today I had a lot of neutral agitation. It's probably the coffee that I had during the day, or 
Um, but it was very clear. I tried to look for uh, patterns, whether it's attachment, desire, or aversion, but I found it to be very neutral. Uh -huh. But it was very, my mind wasn't calm. It's just uh -huh. jumping around. Uh -huh. I could cl very clearly see it, and I found it interesting. So the fact that it was neutral, did that affect how easily it was to stay present for, or would it make it harder, um, easier? Yeah, I was able to observe it. Much more yeah, easier. But I, I can clearly see the agitation, and I knew it was because of the coffee I drank. Uh -huh. yeah. Great. So was there a physical side to that? Um, physical, my, I could feel my breaths were faster. Usually uh -huh. I could... Um, sit back and observe my breath if I'm calm, yeah. but now I, I, it's, it's very difficult, it was very difficult to do that. So, fi so the feeling of the agitation was feel felt in your heart area? Yes. Uh -huh. And then, uh, and it was, so it was, it was neutral, it was not pleasant or unpleasant particularly, mm -hmm. and what was the general mood or mind state that, that you, in which you were aware of this? Um, so it, it um, agitated but tired. So, the, you were, so not only was your mind agitated, the general mood was agitated as well, yes. but also kind of tired. Yeah. Great, yeah. okay. So someone else. Up. Can you move the mic up on stage? Thank you. So I once again was struggling with uh, the lethargy a little bit, and uh -huh. it was very interesting because I think with the observation, I was able to like observe myself kind of drifting away and almost falling asleep yes. and uh, the, sort of the physical sensation of relaxing uh -huh. and uh, it was obviously a pleasant feeling of mm -hmm. relaxing uh -huh. and then not sure what the mood was um, but then I could see all the what you were talking about the sort of crazy thoughts or uh -huh. dreamlike thoughts uh -huh. and it's almost like I was standing here and like observing myself uh -huh. doing that so so you stayed present for that whole process but you, you found it in more interesting than in the past, you just kind of got lost. Yeah, in the past, I fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I fall asleep, yeah. Yeah. Great, great. Yes, is there another mic? Where's the other mic? Oh, you so, have it. <laughs> um, I was thinking about my breathing, uh -huh. and I had already decided my breathing was good and pleasurable. But then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, no, she's kind of tight and wheezy. <laughs> um. And then the more I focused on it, the less comfortable it became. Mm, could be. It could happen that way. And what about, uh, so it was uncomfortable, so it was unpleasant. What was the general mind state mood in which you were aware of that? Um, it was just more of a, um, almost like swimming through jelly. Je so I could oh. feel like I had to work harder than I normally do to breathe. And I probably wouldn't have noticed oh, that swimming as much through, if I wasn't so focused so on it. So swimming through jelly, that's interesting. So uh, that's more of a f kind of a metaphor. What was that like? Dull? Was it heavy? Was it feeling uh, opaque? Um, it, was, it was kind of... Frustrating, because uh -huh. usually the breath is such the pleasant part. Uh -huh. So, you, so there was a, it was a process. mood of frustration. Yeah. And then, what were the reactions, mental activities, thoughts, hindrances? Were they operating also, or were they? I didn't get that far. You didn't get that far. <laughs> great. Well, you did great. So, so um, the breathing can have can be pleasant or unpleasant. Uh, it can, ha you know, sometimes parts of it are pleasant, parts of it are unpleasant. Sometimes when people notice the unpleasant, 
it's, uh, th- it's kind of like they start putting a magnifying glass at it with their awareness, and it, be- starts, it feels bigger than it actually is. And then if we get alarmed by it, it's like even like a, a stronger magnification. And we can kind of blow things out of proportion if we get too alarmed or too concerned. That can happen sometimes. Also, uh, we affect our breathing. So if you start getting concerned and a little bit upset about it's not quite what I wanted, then we tighten up more, which affects the breathing more. So these are all fascinating things that go on. It's not a mistake. You didn't do anything wrong whatsoever. But what we're trying to do is to see actually what the whole, what goes on in there to get wise and see the pattern. And sometimes we get wiser faster if, we, if, the, if the meditation is not that pleasant. I'm not recommending it, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, that's what comes. And um, I thank you. Someone else? Yes, it's... Uh, so I have two parts to my comment. One is the, my reaction to the meditation we just had now. My focus was on my breathing initially, and when you're talking about focusing on the exhale, and then was pleasant or unpleasant, I'm like, it's really nice. Like, I, I had yeah. never, like, my breathing has been such an anchor for my meditation for so long, but I never even stopped to think in all that time whether mm-hmm. it was pleasant. I was surprised at how pleasant it was, number one. So, I was like, so, oh, let, so, so let me respond to that before you say more is that um, one of the advantages of noticing the pleasant part of uh, breathing, it make, sometimes it can be easier to stay there because the mind wants to be there if it's pleasant. Mm-hmm. So, that's, so it's actually quite nice to see it. One of the reasons why it's nice to notice the unpleasant aspect of breathing, it's actually healing to breathe with the unpleasant if, you can, if we can relax about it and be okay with it. Because usually it's unpleasant because there's some holding pattern in the body. And so I like to think of when I have that, which happens regularly, I like live my life busy or something, and I sit down to meditate, there's a little bit of tension sometimes in my chest. I can't breathe all the way in. And I just relaxed about that, and I feel that unpleasantness, and it's kind of like the, the rhythm of, of breathing is like a massage for it. And uh, because I don't, I, don't, I don't mind it, I don't make it worse with you know, the reactivity, the loop, reactive loop, and I just massage it with my breathing until it relaxes. So either way, it's good. But so you had, you had a second part. Oh, the interesting, like, because I, I realize I tend to focus on my inhale, not my ex. And so the exhale, once I started thinking about it too much, I'm like, do I need to remember to inhale? You know, there's that, yeah. that, that, that split second. But um, so that was one part of it. And the other part of it was like, I also struggle with uh, drowsiness yeah. when I meditate in the evenings. Um, so I find myself drifting. I notice that I, I don't feel the drowsiness. I just see that I'm dreaming, whatever it is, and uh-huh. then I just stop. But, yeah, um, but you, you can, you, you, and you can call that sloth and torpor. Yeah, yeah. If you'd like. Um, but the thing I wanted to comment on most is I appreciate this framework because earlier today I was just flat out crabby. And I didn't, <laughs> and I, it was, I wasn't in a position where I could sit with it. But I was wondering what the experience would have been like. So this is actually a very helpful framework that, mm. um, that I know I'll be able to use in the future because it was just no other, like, just... <laughs> and so, this and so now you can you go through the framework and see what's really going on because that's like blah, right? It's, very it's much so. too, too yeah. vague. Yeah, so I appreciate <clears throat> it, so thank you. Great. I once remember many years ago, <clears throat> I was feeling kind of blah, down a little bit, bad, whatever, you know, very vague sense of it.
And so I, I lay down on the couch, and uh, and I you know I, I have a habit now just get curious if I'm feeling something I I curious so look into it. So I went into my body to see how does it feel physically, and I could feel my breathing was restricted. It was unpleasant for sure, and I just stayed with it. I, I've I've learned that it's really good just stay with any kind of unpleasant restricted breathing. Just be very relaxed about it and just stay with it, like the massage. So I stayed with it for a while, and then um, and as I stayed held it, being with that restricted breathing right here, then it's after some time it suddenly released. No, no. What happened was. I, I finally I said, oh, I'm depressed. And I, I recognized I was depressed. The moment I recognized I was depressed, the, 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 the restriction in the breathing released, and I breathed normally again. But it, I had to kind of be there with the experience for a while before it revealed itself what it was specifically. Oh, it's depression. And then it... It was relatively mild, so then it disappeared soon thereafter. So this, you know, so this day of getting specific, even specific with the physical uh, symptoms of something, is very helpful. Okay, thank you for that for those comments. Oh, one more, and then I have some more to say. As I was meditating this evening, um, I felt um, a, a restlessness, like fidgety, and of course, then I recognized what what that was about ICU, and then I realized that I'm having this ache or something right here in the muscle on the left side, and they're sort of kind of going hand in hand. Yeah, I, I just stayed with it, and and I felt my general mood was annoyed. <laughs> and uh, so I tried to concentrate a little more on my out-breath and try to imagine relax, sending relaxing to this, this yeah. area. And uh, I, I felt uh, some release, and I, I felt a little less anxious. Great. That's very nice. I'm ha yeah. happy to hear this. Yeah. That, was good, that was a good process you went through. So, um, so this uh, process of, uh, so this is a process of kind of distinguishing more specifically what's going on as opposed to this vague, amorphous thing that happens. As people do mindfulness practice and get more adept at it, the easier, and, then the mind will naturally at some point start making more and more distinctions. And because uh, there's a lot, uh, and rather than generalizing, rather than kind of having a vague overview of something, even within the body, for example, uh, there's, there's all these little distinctions we made about what, how these sensations are operating, what kind, different kinds are operating with particular things. You don't have to analyze, but as we settle down, part of the function of mindfulness is to, is to start to see more, more clearly what's there. And we can say, see more clearly, and that's nice, but that's a vague statement. And, uh, and uh, what it means in Buddhism, at least, is seeing clearly is to see with more distinctions. So, for example, if it's a, a hazy day and you look you know, across the town, 
you can kind of see buildings over there, but you don't see them clearly. But then the wind comes through, blows all the haze away, and then uh, you see clearly the building. You, you, because what clearly means, you see, now you see them, the distinctions. You see them separate from each other, and you see the windows separate from the walls, and you start seeing you know, things more clearly. So the clarity has to do with making distinctions. This is not analytical, I keep saying, not thinking about it, but it, it's, it, it can help pull you into the world of the present moment if you allow yourself to have that clarity, that kind of sort of noticing, oh, this is what's happening. But it's not, again, getting involved. It's a way of being clear so you get quieter, stiller. If you start thinking about it, if it's analysis, then you stay more busy in your head. But it's more like you're getting quieter. It's like you're listening to a very faint sound far away, and it might close your eyes so it becomes simpler, you don't have other seeing complicating things. And then you might even let your thinking mind get really quiet so you can hear this faint sound. So to have this kind of clarity, like with the breathing, you want to, you know, get quiet so you can really feel it, really sense the distinctions, the little details, what's actually going on there. You don't want to be ahead of yourself and try to force the issue, but that's kind of the direction it's going, the practice. Not just getting calm, but start having more clarity and really seeing what goes on there. As that happens, um, and it helps us stay in the present moment, more concentration, more presence, then what arises, um, first very mildly, are what in Buddhism is uh, called seven factors of awakening. And they're kind of like the opposite of the hindrances. And, um, and uh, they're kind of held as kind of, the hindrances are what keeps us distracted and caught up in things. The factors of awakening are what gets us uncaught, gets us free, wakes us up, has more clarity. So the first one is to be aware, to be mindful. As we start being more mindful, we become more mindful. <laughs> that becomes stronger and develops as we're more present. As we do this, then uh, we start making naturally more distinctions. And the word that we use for that, this, those seeing more things more distinguishingly is called investigation. But investigation is such a big word in English that people think they have to analyze and probe. We're not analyzing, we're just taking what's there and we're kind of seeing it clearer. And then things start seeing, there's actually more and more things that are making up this present moment experience. And then there uh, has to be some engagement. Some of you just talked about being tired. Sometimes uh, as you get into it more, there's a nice vitality, kind of engagement, kind of, oh yeah, I want to do this. Even kind of, a, I don't want to use the word enthusiasm because that can agitate you. if It's too much energy. But you're kind of, kind of like, you know, yes, I want to do this. And you're kind of engaged. And then uh, there can be some uh, sense of well-being. This feels good to be present. There's a kind of delight or ease or joy. I'm really here. I'm really connected. In fact, the less distracted we get, the more satisfying it is to just be here with the experience. And so we can feel that satisfaction. It feels, oh, good. And then there can be some concentration. Like we're with the breathing, and we're really not, we're not, we're not distracted easily. We're just able to kind of stay with a whole series of the breaths in a row. Just almost like we're resting on the breathing. We don't have to, we're just right there. 
And then at some point, there's also equanimity, meaning that whether things are pleasant or unpleasant, we just stay balanced, we stay non-reactive. It's no big deal. I don't have to do anything with it or react with it or make conclusions with it. Just it's a pleasant or unpleasant. I just, it's there, I know it's there, just let it be. So these are um, important parts of life. Uh, there are ordinary parts of life. And uh, if you go, uh, in the handout today, there's a, uh, uh, tells you how to find an article I wrote about the seven factors of awakening. And um, the title of it is The Ordinary, meaning the or- ordinary experience, ordinary life, and the seven factors of awakening. Where I try to show how these seven factors of awakening, they sound like grand, right? Like awakening, you know. Um, how they operate in ordinary life, but we often don't recognize them. Just like many people don't recognize the hindrances, and they operate kind of behind the scenes directing the show. But once you see them, you can start becoming a little bit freer of them. The seven factors of awakening also can operate behind the scenes, but there, they don't direct the show, they atrophy. <laughs> so often if they're not recognized. And so to bring them into the foreground a little bit and see little, little hints of them, how they are, it's actually quite supportive because they're like the positive feedback system for developing this mindfulness and being present. Does that make some sense? So any questions about that? Yes, so we can pass the mic over there. My question is, how does the seven factors, uh, I'm a little confused with the the five faculties. Oh yes, well they overlap with them. And um, so the five faculties are um, a little different because the five faculties, they they overlap. So it's completely justified being confused to bring these two lists together. But I think of the five faculties as more as the immediate kind of, uh, um, uh, psychological factors that come into play just to just to pay attention. The seven factors of awakening that include things like joy and equanimity and, and investigation. Um, that's what happens when the mindfulness becomes strong. It's kind of like a byproduct. The five faculties are something we want to get into balance a little bit. We want to kind of get them going. The seven factors of awakening. We want to allow them to uh, blossom. Does that make some sense? Yeah. A little bit. I'm, I'll satis- I'm satisfied with a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be very clear about the distinction between um, making distinctions <laughs> and analyzing, uh, as you as you as you mentioned, from an experiential point of view, and so. I was wondering during the meditation is it do we still like 
as counsel, like how to do that, making distinctions while being very quiet and but still being very clear. Like, do we still kind of explicitly ask ourselves the question, what is my, uh, wh where is it on pleasant versus unpleasant? Yeah. Or what yeah. is, because I find yeah, myself yeah. asking yeah. this the, yes. kind of so question. So uh, analysis means you're involved in a lot of thinking. You're just kind of, kind of thinking and thinking and thinking. There can be very simple thoughts, like, is this pleasant or unpleasant? It just kind of directs you in the direction to see more clearly, but you're, you're, you're not kind of then having a conversation with yourself about it. So the, the primary thing we're trying to do is to, is to almost like to feel and to see silently, without thoughts. So, when I, so this, more, this evening before I came down here, I was laying on my f uh, living room floor, uh, stretching my back, and I was looking at our ceiling, and I was just, you know, was just laying there stretching, so I had nothing else to do. <laughs> so I was just looking at the ceiling, and I noticed all these patterns in the way the paint's been done on the ceiling. And I just, I, oh, there were some of those patterns I'd never seen before. I just looked, and more and more distinctions stood out. But I wasn't asking myself, what are the distinctions up there? And it just kind of, because I was looking, it just kind of, the mind naturally started seeing things that I hadn't studied before, hadn't looked at before. Interest, interest will, will bring out distinctions. But you know, you can as you're sitting, you can ask yourself very simply, what's the feeling tone? Is it pleasant or unpleasant? What's the body experience? What's the general mind state? What's the activity now? You can ask yourself that questions, but the way you know you're doing it in a helpful, in a way it's helpful, as you ask that, it helps you calm down. It helps you kind of just be relaxed. So you might even s experiment, if you do those very simple like statements like that, to say them with an inner voice that's calm, that's calming, reassuring. But then don't follow up with a whole conversation. Just, just, and then it's like, it's like, like a friend of yours says, listen to that faint sound, and then you get really quiet to hear it. Notice whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, and then you get quiet to feel it. Because if you spend a lot of time thinking, uh, you, you, that gets in the way of really sensing and feeling fully. Make some sense? It does, and kind of my takeaway from this is, if the answer doesn't come obviously, then... If the what doesn't? The answer doesn't come yeah. obviously. Because I noticed personally, yeah. uh -huh. I found for body experience or feeling tones, usually it's quite obvious. I don't have to think about it. For the other two, mental state, and sometimes it's obvious, yeah. sometimes it's not, and so I, that's when I kind of go into analysis. Fantastic. I'm go I, I really appreciate you said that. If it's not obvious, don't go searching anymore. <laughs> if it's not obvious, don't worry about it. The, the, the mindfulness operates on the obvious. That's the whole name of the game. So, you know, so if you're like, oh, straining, what is it? That's supposed to be, he said pleasant and unpleasant, and I got to figure it out, you know, he's going to test me next time I come. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> and uh, um, <laughs> the best thing you, I say, well, if I said, tell me, I'm going to test you next time. Was it pleasant or unpleasant? And, uh, and you say, it wasn't obvious and I'd be so happy. Because that's obvious. 
because you just saw it as it is. It's not obvious. And so, it's, it's, if it's, so the idea is just to stay calm, relaxed, at ease, and just notice what's obvious. Don't go digging. Don't go like excavating. Don't try to just figure out those. But these ideas, these simple ideas, hopefully they're simple ideas I'm giving, are, are just simple ways of getting in there and helping you get grounded, be more in the present. If they get in the, sometimes these things I'm teaching you will get in the way of being present. It's like the wrong day to do it. But the, uh, in the long term, I'm hoping this will help, help you. So if it's helpful, do it. If you feel like it's not being helpful, don't do it. Just stay with your breath. Keep it simple. And if you ask yourself these very simple questions to make these distinctions, um, if the answer is not obvious, don't worry about it. The path of mindfulness opens up as we're present for what's obvious. You can be very content with whatever's obvious if it's in the present moment. Next, okay. So we do have a handout, and um, and it, it has the. I hope you guys are okay with this, you know, checklist and this rating thing. And uh, hopefully it helps you kind of see the patterns of what goes on better. And this one is a little bit more complicated. Um, So you can can decide what to do, do, whether do one or the other, or do both. One is uh, this checklist based on these four different categories, these four distinctions, body, feeling, tone, take twice each day. And one of the times do one checklist, and the second time do the, si- the second. If you only have time to meditate once, you could try doing both, or you can just do one, or whatever you think is best for you. I don't want you to feel like you're getting busy and, you know, all that, because busy, busy meditation is not meditation. So could someone help pass these out? Maybe, maybe put them by the door. Or, 